everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, are we devoted to God or to destruction? Where do we get our identity from, and how do we show God that he's a priority? This is Joshua 6, The Fall of Jericho. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. So everything has been leading up to this point ever since God made the promise to Abraham hundreds of years before. This is the first battle that they will have for the land that God has promised them. The Israelites are there in this land and now they're about to have this big battle. The people there are evil. God has given them a chance. He told Abraham this whenever he told Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. He said, but not yet, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God has given them full chance to change their ways and they have not. And so now it is time and God has devoted them to destruction. The whole city is going to be demolished and this land is now going to belong to God's people. And we'll see throughout this time that after the battle is over, some of the things are devoted to destruction and some of the things are devoted to God. And so that's what we need to be thinking about with ourselves today. Is God a priority to us? Are we devoted to him? or? Are we devoted to ourselves, to this world, doing things the way we want to on the road to destruction? So here's the story of the fall of Jericho. The Israelites crossed over the Jordan River and they're now in the promised land and everyone knows it and they're afraid. They know everything that has happened on the other side of the Jordan, how they defeated the kings there. They know how God led them out of Egypt by parting the Red Sea and then defeated the Egyptian army by making it collapse on top of them. They know how they also crossed the Jordan River just now on dry ground. So they know that God is with his people and they are afraid, everyone in the land. And so Jericho, remember whenever the spies went to check out Jericho, they had open gates through the day. They would open their gates in the daytime. They would Uh, let people go in and out, and then in the evening, they would close the gates. Well, now that they know that the Israelites are there in their land, their gates are tight shut. They're not letting anyone in, and they're not letting anyone out. Now, just a little bit of information about Jericho. Scholars tell us that there were two walls. I've told you that before, whenever they the spies went into the land, but they say that these walls The first one was six foot thick and the second one was 12 foot thick. And it was a little less than half of a mile in circumference. So this was about seven acres on a hill. That's where Jericho was. Seven acres on a hill surrounded by these two thick walls. And 
normally, if you wanted to take a city like this, you would surround it and make sure that everyone was too afraid to leave. And this would eventually starve them out. They wouldn't be able to get supplies. They wouldn't be able to get food. And they would either have to leave or stay there and die. If they tried to fight you over the wall, they would never be able to get any more supplies in. They'd eventually run out of supplies. You would be able to uh, fight them better that way. And then eventually they would have to come out or die because they wouldn't have any food. This is the typical way that you would do it in a city like this that's walled like that. Now, being on a hill, that makes it even more difficult to fight a city like this. But God does not do things in the typical way. He wants everyone to know this was me. No one else made this happen. It wasn't done in the conventional way. It was done in the way that only God himself can do. And so God gave Joshua specific instructions as to how he wanted him to take this city. Now, in our last lesson, we talked about how the commander of God's army approached Joshua on a horse holding his sword. And it's very possible that this is when God gave the instructions to Joshua of how he was going to take this city. Or God may have just spoken them to him at a different time. But that's what happened directly before this. So it's very possible that when he, the commander of God's army came to Joshua, he gave him these instructions. And they say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get seven priests and have them each holding a trumpet. And I want them to take the Ark of the Covenant like they did last time when they went across the Jordan River. But instead of leading this time, I want them to be in the center. And I want the six of the tribes of Israel to be in front of them and six tribes to be behind them so that the priests and the Ark of the Covenant will be guarded there in the middle, totally protected. And I want you all to march around the city once for six straight days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And while y'all are marching, the priests will be sounding these trumpets. And the people are to be totally silent. And then on the seventh day, they're going to do the same thing, except they're not going to just march one time. They're going to march around seven times. And when they complete their seventh trip around, the priests are to blow the trumpets one long blow. And this is going to be the signal to the rest of the soldiers to shout as loud as they can. And at their shout and the sound of their trumpet, I'm going to make the walls fall in on themselves. And then the soldiers will be able to just go straight forward into the city and completely take it over. So not conventional, right? This is definitely a miracle. And so Joshua does this. He gets the seven priests, tells them to take their seven trumpets, get in the center he gets the troops on either side of them. They're protected. And he sets out on the first day towards the city of Jericho and marches around the city one time with the, tree, with the priests blowing their trumpets. And then they go back to camp. That's it. The next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Every day for six days. On the seventh day, they get up early. They go out there. 
and they march around, but then they march a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time. And on the seventh time, the priests blow the long war trumpet and the army sounds their battle cry and God makes this the walls fall in on themselves and the whole army rushes into Jericho and they kill everyone there except for Rahab. Remember that because Rahab saved the spies, they told her they would save her and her family. So she lived inside the wall, inside of those two walls. They had houses and all of the wall fell except for where her house was. Her house was saved and she was the only one that was saved. And so they went in, they killed every living, breathing thing there. God said, all of the people there are evil and I have completely devoted this city to destruction. And so all of the people were killed. Then they took Rahab and her family out, all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze and the iron they took out for the treasury of God. And then they burned the city to the ground. And then listen to what Joshua says about this city. This is verse 26. It says, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So he's cursed anyone that rebuilds this city. This city is to be demolished forever. And sadly, Later on, there is a wicked king of Israel named Ahab, and he allows this city to be rebuilt. And it tells us about this in 1 Kings 16, 34. It says, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. And then listen to this. It says, he laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn. And with his youngest son, Sagub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua. So the curse came true that Joshua pronounced all those years before. The city was not to be rebuilt. And so this is the story of the destruction of Jericho. Now, I want to go back and read a couple of verses Specifically, that was the summary of it. So y'all didn't have to listen to me read the entire chapter. And now I want to go back and read a couple of verses to you and discuss them in a little more detail. In verse 17, it says, The city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Devoted to destruction. This word devoted actually means under a net, captured, trapped, doomed. And I was just thinking they must have felt doomed from the second that the Israelites began to march around their city, right? Can you imagine what it would have felt like to be in the city of Jericho that day? And you hear the collective stomp 
of all of these soldiers. All around your city, not saying a word, just marching around. It must have felt so eerie. But then they just leave. And so then I'm sure they were confused. Then when they came back the second day and the third day, they were like, oh, I see what's happening. You're taunting us. (laughs) That's what's happening. But then by like the fourth, fifth, sixth day, they're probably like, how long are they going to do this? And what's the plan? What happens next? By the seventh day, when they don't stop after the first trip and they start taking their second and third and fourth trip, they're probably realizing, oh, we're about to find out what's going to happen. And then to hear that long trumpet blast after all the rest of them have just been short. And then the battle cry of these warriors, you would be terrified. And then the sound, like the sound of rolling thunder, right? Whenever the the walls just tumbled to the ground. And if you are standing there and then you just see this flood of soldiers coming your way, absolute terror, right? At that moment, they knew it's too late. We're doomed for destruction, right? And like I said before, they had a chance. They could have done what Rahab did. They could have given their lives to God, trusted him with their life, realized that they were doomed for destruction, but they chose not to. And now that they are looking God's people in the face, looking their death in the eyes, they're realizing, well, it's too late now. And, you know, I'm sure they're not the only ones that felt this impending sense of doom, right? Because all the people knew that they were in this city and they must have seen them circling the city. And then when the walls fell and they completely overtook the city and burned it, everybody's feeling a sense of doom, right? But again, it's too late. There's nothing they can do. When we recognize our sin too late and God's power and his ability to save us, we realize it too late. There's nothing we can do at that point. And that's where they are. Now, did you also notice how many times they said seven, seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven times around, right? God uses the number seven as a symbol of completion because he created the earth in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested and looked at all he had created. And he says, it's complete. And so when God uses this number seven, he is trying to say, it's finished. This is all done. And that's what he was doing here with Jericho. By using seven priests to blow seven trumpets, March for seven days, and then on the seventh time around, all of the walls falling, he's saying, it's done. This city is gone. The first battle is complete. And then also what happened on the seventh day is God dedicated that day to himself as holy. And so listen to what it says in Joshua 6, verse 19. It says, 
Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and you bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the whole city is devoted to God. The people cannot touch anything. Some of the things are devoted to God for destruction and some of the things are devoted to God as holy things. But everything belongs to God and nothing belongs to the people. If the people were to have taken any of the things into their camp that were devoted for destruction, then they could have been making themselves the object of destruction. By bringing destructive things into their camp, they're bringing trouble upon themselves. And so God says, do not take any of the things that are meant for destruction into your camp. And you know, there are evil things in this world, things that need to be destroyed. First of all, these people were evil. They hurt others with their evil acts. And God cares about innocent people. Sometimes the evil just has to be eradicated. And then there's evil things, things that if we bring them into our lives, they're only going to bring us trouble. And we have to get those things out of our lives. We have to hate evil and cling to what is good, right? It's what it says in Romans 12, 9. Hate evil and cling to what is good. That's the only way that we can keep ourselves from being tainted by those things. And so we want to do away with the evil things. They need to be devoted to destruction. And then the things that couldn't be destroyed by fire, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron, those were all taken into God's treasury as a sort of earnings for him. This is the first battle that they fight. And so it's kind of like the first fruits when they have their very first fruits of the season. They dedicate some of those to God. That's kind of what's happening here. He said, this is the first battle and I want some of these things to go into the treasury of my house. And now these things are dedicated to me as holy. So the people don't get to touch these things. These are only for God's house and for his purposes. Now, God asks us to give our firsts to him for lots of reasons. One of the reasons is to show him that we know that without him, we wouldn't even have any of what we've got. And so if he gives us something, we give him some of it back to let him know we we know we wouldn't have this without you. And then another reason that we give of our first is because we want to show priority to God. Notice that God gave Joshua and the Israelites one task to do every single day. And it couldn't have taken too terribly long to march around this wall. And so Joshua could have done this at any point in the day. It's like, this is the only thing I have to do today. So I'll just get up leisurely go about my business and then we'll go and do that at whatever time we want to do it. No, notice that Joshua got up first thing in the morning and did the thing that God asked him to do. And that shows that he knows 
this is the most important thing that needs to be done today. I will make sure that I get this thing done today. Because what happens whenever we get up and we just go about our business? Sometimes we had something in mind that we were going to do and then other things get in the way. By doing the thing that God asks us to do first thing, it's ensured that nothing else will get in the way of that thing being done. And so I was thinking about this in my own life and realizing how often I don't get all of the things done in the day that I want to get done. And sometimes those things are things that I believe God wanted me to get done that day. And what would it be like if I would have just done that first thing in the morning before all of the business of the day got started, before I filled it with other things and ran out of time. And so that's just a little side note of something to just think about in your own life. What might you need to be doing first thing in the morning? to show God that he is important to you, that he is your priority, and that the things that he wants you to get done in this day are your priority. So that is why we give our first to God. It shows him that we're devoted to him. Now, before we go too much further into being devoted to God or being devoted to destruction, I want us to talk a little bit about Rahab. Rahab was the only one, her and her family, they're the only ones that are saved. And it's because they she placed her faith in God and not in the army of Jericho, not in the walls to protect her, but in the Lord. And the Israelites also won this battle because they placed their faith in God and did exactly as he told them to do. So I want you to hear what it says in Hebrews eleven thirty and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who didn't believe when she received the spies with peace. So they both had faith and that's what gave them victory and salvation. But they also had to act on their faith, both of them. The Israelites had to trust that God was going to make the walls fall after the seventh time of marching around and that he was going to give them victory whenever they invaded the land. Otherwise, they wouldn't have marched around. Rahab had to trust that God would save her. Otherwise, she would have told her king where the spies were and trusted in him. And so listen to what it says in James 2, 25 and 26. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And that's kind of what we talked about last time. But just again, by acting on their faith, Rahab and the Israelites were saved. And then I just want to do another little aside because did you notice that both of those scriptures, when it said Rahab, it said Rahab the harlot. It's like God's throwing her sin in her face every time he mentions her name. He's like, she's not just Rahab, she's Rahab, you know, the harlot. And that makes you think, am I always going to be identified by my sin? 
Is that the way that God does things? He calls you out by your sin. That is who you are, the harlot. That's a bit disconcerting. But if you look into it more, you realize that in this story, I'm going to actually read you what it says in Joshua 6 about Rahab. This is 22 to 25, and it says, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all that belongs to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all that belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, see how they keep saying it, and her father's household and all that belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And then listen to this. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So she's still living among the Israelites when this book of Joshua is being written. And so, yes, she's Rahab the prostitute, but she's Rahab the prostitute that God saved. That's what he's trying to tell us. Did you know that she's listed in the genealogies of Jesus? In Matthew, whenever he's telling the genealogy of Jesus, he says, this is Matthew 1, he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he says, Abraham is the father of Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob is the father of Judah and all of his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Amanadab and Amanadab, the father of Noshan and Noshan, the father of Salmon. And Salmon is the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab has Boaz. And Boaz is the father of Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David. And then Jesus comes through his line. Rahab, the prostitute, was saved by her faith in their God. And she is actually the great, 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 whatever, grandmother of Jesus. So it's significant to let everyone know that she was a prostitute because then God says, and I saved her. Her sin did not define her. It did not override her faith. As a matter of fact, her faith canceled out her sin. She was a prostitute. Now she is a child of God. As a matter of fact, she is a great, 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 great grandma of Jesus, of the Son of God. So this lets all of us know that no, we are not defined by our sin. We are defined by our faith in the Savior. If we, like Rahab, put our faith in God, 
and then act on that faith by making Jesus our Lord and our Savior, then he'll cancel out our sin too. Listen to what it says in Colossians 2. You being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record, the thing that says Rahab is a prostitute, is nailed to the cross and dies with Jesus completely wiped out, canceled, just because we give him that sin. We hand Jesus our sins and we say, please take the penalty for this. And then Jesus does for us. That's what it means when someone says, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's saying, I realized I need someone to pay for these sins and I handed them to him and he did it for me. If we don't do that, then we're devoted to destruction, just like the people that were living in the promised land. But God doesn't want that. It says, just like he gave them time, he gives us all time too. This is Second Peter 3, 9. It says, he is long suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that we should come to repentance. And so God wants us all to decide that we are going to give our lives over to him, that we're going to make Jesus our Lord and our Savior, not only handing him our sins, but saying we will follow you. That's what it means for him to be our Lord. God wants that for everyone. But if we don't, then we're devoted to destruction. If we do, then we're set aside to him as holy, just as the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron work in that city. We're all devoted to God for something, either for destruction or for holiness. Jesus gives us his righteousness whenever we accept him as our savior. We give him our sins, he dies for them, and then he gives us his righteousness. That's what it looks like. And so we want to be devoted to God. I want to read you a couple of verses about this and then we'll end. This is Matthew 25, 31 through 34. And it says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats he will sit on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then down in verse 41, he says, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, these will go away into the everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So one for holiness, they're living with God for eternity. One for destruction, just as the city was destroyed by fire. The goats, the ones on his left, are cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Facing judgment or 
set aside for righteousness. Listen to what it says in John three sixteen through 18. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who doesn't believe is condemned already because he doesn't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those that do not place their trust and faith in Jesus, giving him his sin, our sins, accepting him as Lord of our lives, do not look holy to God. God does not see his son's righteousness when he looks at them. When he looks at them, he does see their sin. If Rahab would not have trusted in God, would not have placed her faith in God, then he would have said, Rahab the prostitute devoted to destruction. Now he says, Rahab the prostitute whom I saved and devoted to righteousness. That's what we want him to do with us. Not say, Courtney the sinner. Not going to tell you what my name would be, what my sinful name would be, but Courtney the sinner saved. Devoted to God for righteousness instead of just Courtney the sinner devoted to destruction. Last verse, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. There are few who find it. The reason that the road to destruction is broad is because it's easy to just go on about our lives and not give our lives over to God. To just go on about our lives and continue in our evil ways, right? That's what the people that were devoted to destruction in the promised land did. They just went about their business. That is a pretty broad road. It's more narrow the people that choose God, only Rahab out of all of them. And the reason is because it's harder to say, I did something wrong. And I believe that there's someone else out there that has never done anything wrong. And I'm going to let him die for my sins. I'm going to ask him to die for my sins. And then I'm going to live for him. That's hard. But we want to be on that broad road devoted to righteousness and holiness instead of the road to destruction. So that is our lesson today. I hope that it didn't bum you out, but instead it inspired you to set aside the the destructive things of this world, devote your life to God and make him a priority. Maybe change the way you do certain things in your day or whatever. So next week we'll talk about their second battle. So Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Also, if you want the written study with all of the scriptures there, then subscribe to my Substack, and you'll get all of those emailed to you each week for $6 a month. And then go to Live Through Jesus and look at the blog post that is there for this lesson. And follow me on social media, and you'll see some scriptures throughout the week. So that's all for now. Thanks, and have a good day. Thank you.
Thank you.